0: You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org.
1: Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Dave Hancock. Boys Basketball Coach at South Eugene High School. Coach, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, not bad with all things considered.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's how we're all feeling right now. Uh, Coach, for those that might not be familiar with you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your basketball background and and how you ended up as the head coach at South Eugene High School?
2: Well, I I grew up uh, here in Oregon. I I went to Hershberg High School and played for Dave Shelby. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, basketball was kind of a a love of mine from the beginning. I, my folks had moved up from California in fifth grade and and dad had introduced me to the game when I was probably five or six years old and just loved it ever since. And so I said, I went to Harrisburg High School, graduated from there, uh, went to Western Oregon and, and actually played baseball there rather than basketball. I was a little vertically challenged, and um, I would have to say skill challenge As I've gotten older, I didn't think I was skill challenged then, obviously like uh, all the young kids do. But uh as you get older and you, you get around some outstanding players with great skills, you start realizing how limited I really was. But uh had a great love for the game and um, had an opportunity to, to play sport in college. And um, then I um, journeyed overseas. I, I – When I graduated, I could either start coaching or start teaching and or go overseas, and at that time in 82, it was kind of a a pretty intriguing offer to go overseas and play baseball for a few years, which I did, and then I started coaching over there, um, really started my basketball career at 23, uh, over there coaching uh, a men's team, actually. I think I was the uh, just about the youngest guy on the team as the head coach. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool.
1: Uh what part of us it was in Australia, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I was what, in what, Perth. Okay.
2: Yeah, Perth Perth, Australia, which is on the west coast down there. Uh there's only I think five major cities down there and uh we were on the west coast, kinda isolated out there, but um tremendous tremendous area and um great place. Just beautiful and um you know, shorts all year round and It was gorgeous, and uh, I went over originally for a two-year stint uh, of the baseball contract and coached basketball in the off-season, and um, didn't really make enough money. You know that I mean, the baseball was more just to see the world. It wasn't you know a a lucrative contract or anything, but it was a chance to see the world, and and I got involved in the basketball there, and we had some you know really early success uh, coaching. What they call in a state league, uh, it was an open men's um division. It was like the highest division in for you know in the state, and we had some great success and kind of one thing led to another and I was able to i applied for and got the head coaching job of the of the state under eighteen boys team uh in eighty four and there was um that that team plays in a national tournament so uh, they they go off to a national tournament, and it's a week-long tournament, usually played in one of the major cities uh, in Australia, usually on the East Coast, and um, didn't do too well the first year. Um, I think we lost every single game, and um, kind of looked at that group and said, you know, uh, there's some pretty good talent here. They just had never, ever won. West Australia had never won anything in basketball, and so we, um put together a fundraiser and we brought them over here to the U.S. and state of Oregon and we toured, uh, 12 games here in Oregon and kind of played all different levels. And at that time it was like 1A, 2A, 3A and so we played some 1As, some 2As and some 3As and, uh, the kids had great success and in, um, six of those kids, seven of those kids were returning on the under 18 state team the following year and, um I got the job again, um, maybe, maybe by default, nobody else wanted it, but we, we joined up with, um, three really good kids, and two of them were outstanding, um, who had come into that age bracket, and one of them was, um, Luke Longley, and, uh, at that time, Luke was 6'10", and pretty gangly, um, had really good skills, especially passing skills, and, um, you know, he was just kind of learning what it was all about. We had another kid named Andrew Vlahal that had later on, uh, come over here and went to South Eugene actually, um, for one year and then went on to Stanford for four years had a great career at Stanford and, uh, went on and played four, in four Olympiads for, for the Australian national team. And I got to rejoin him later and I was uh, assistant coach with the pro team down there. So. It was just a good start, you know, we had won, we ended up winning the national championship in 1985 down there, and uh, that opened up a lot of doors, and I ended up getting a full-time uh, job as a basketball director for one of the clubs, Uh head coach and basketball director over, I overlooked everything from under 10s all the way through senior and open play and uh you know, we, we did that for a few years and, uh, then, um for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but I ended up coaching the, uh, the women's representative team from Western Australia in the national, um, competition and they play, actually played a league and, then uh, the first year there was two leagues. There was like a junior league, uh, second league, you might say, and then a senior circuit. And, uh, we were in the, we had to kind of build our way up. And so we were, in the junior league in the first first year and we won the national championship of that and, and got promoted to to go on to the um uh, the national women's basketball league down there. So um and then I just kind of uh kind of was at a crossroads. Uh it was really didn't you know I didn't really want to coach women. Um coaching in the state league really wasn't lucrative enough to like just coach and stuff. I'd done the basketball director job for five years and that was getting kind of stale and so I thought heavily of coming back in nineteen ninety and then um uh, the way things work out in this silly game I ended up uh, being called three games into the season to join the coaching staff. Um they had a coaching change and um I joined the um the Perth Wildcats, which was the NBL team in the National Basketball League down there and that was uh our, Outstanding run of eight years, and just um, probably the greatest learning period of my basketball career, being the assistant coach and learning under different coaches. And I had three different head coaches over that eight-year span, and we had won three national championships during that time. Uh, Actually, even got to go play in the McDonald's Open in in London uh, at the end of the year after we won the Australian national championship. Played against the Rockets and uh, ended up winning two of our three games there, and and uh, finished like in uh, for a you know, third place finish. So it was pretty exciting times.
1: That's great. And what uh, what ultimately brought you back to, to South Eugene? Just stale, like you had mentioned earlier, or was it well the right fit right time?
2: It just came down to I was really after eight years. I was really ready to you know to. Try to get a head coaching gig um in the in the pro league down there um, i had um, a lot of ex- what i felt was you know ample experience on a winning program and but there was just there wasn't that many um professional teams in the league down there and it was very hard to um to get you know to get a head coaching job and you know, and I just, in 1998, I just said, you know, I think it's time, and uh came back and um went to uh, school again, went back to school and got my master's degree, and that's actually where I met Doug Paquette. We were in the same class, and you know how summer goes when you're doing your master's, you kind of get, uh, at least for me, I kind of wander a little bit, and um was sitting there doodling basketball plays in my notepad, and... uh I guess when a notepad, then it was old school. It was you know paper and and pen. And uh, Doug was next to me, and he kind of looks at me and he says, uh, "Oh, you played, you coached basketball." And I said, "Well, yeah." And I told him my story, and and as, as the story goes, Doug uh, didn't really believe too much about me. And um, as it turned out, um, he ended up hiring me or got me on there at Thurston for two years as his assistant, and we had two really really good years and. Doug and I formed a really solid relationship that we still have and you know that's the thing about basketball you just you meet so many people and and um you just make lifetime friends and you know it's it's not always about winning the game on a Friday night or a Tuesday night or wherever it is you just you know you it's the journey that makes it so much more fun so uh then I was um at Thurston, and uh, Dean Steph was retiring. Uh, this was uh, in the uh, exactly a year after he retired. It was in the end of the 01-2000-2001 season, and um, South Eugene was looking for a head basketball coach. And I was lucky that I had gotten on at Thurston because I would met uh, a person in education that had was one of the administrators over in Springfield and he knew the principal at, at South Eugene and Jerry Henderson at the time. And he just, um, he told him that, uh, you know, you have to interview this guy. If nothing else, he, you know, he deserves an interview. And cause I had applied for the job, but didn't hear back from him. And then I, I got the call that I got an interview and it's kind of funny. I went in about, uh, you know, these interview processes can take forever. And especially when they do multiple ones on the, same night and so i sat around from about 7:30 and about 9 o'clock i finally got called back to the back office for the interview and and uh i kind of thought well this may not go too well at nine <laughs> o'clock at night <laughs> but uh we ended up leaving the the room at 11:15, and um um the ad at the time who i ended up succeeding as the ad there too um Jim Dankery said, uh, well, I asked everybody if they had any questions and they said none. And they said, uh, offer me the job. So I was very fortunate you know, to be at the right place at the right time that how things work out a lot of times in life. And you know, you make, you, you see a door open and you, you open it and then you see what happens. And so I ended up there at South Eugene. I've been there this, this season. If we have one, uh, we'll be my 20th year at, at South Eugene.
1: Very cool. Coach, so you talked about the opportunity to be a basketball director in Australia, and obviously as a head coach, you know, you develop your youth program here. Can you kind of talk about, you know, hoops in Australia and teaching the game versus maybe teaching it here in the States and what that experience was like?
2: Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, before I had gone to Australia, some uh, friends that uh, actually of my father, um, he had I was talking to them, you know, and, and my dad had said, you know, his son gets to go to Australia and blah, blah, blah. And I, the comment that kind of resonated was like, you're going to love Australia, but it's, you know, you're going to find it's like 15, maybe 10, 15 years behind the U.S. and um in a lot of ways. And when I got over there, I thought that that was really um true in a lot of ways, and especially was in basketball. And basketball is, was an uh, emerging sport down there in, in the early 80s and it was growing uh there was a lot of enthusiasm about it and you know the the club that I oversaw um everything kind of runs by club there nothing runs really through the schools uh the private schools have some kind of intermill or you know interscholastic type competition but it's nothing compared to the clubs everything's run through clubs and so the clubs, you know, they go from like under 10s uh, to to senior open stuff. So, you know, when you start delving into that, and my my club was a very big club. We had almost 5,000 members um, from under 10 all the way through to the adults. And so a um, lot to look after, but at the same time, you know, the under 10s might have had like 50 teams, and the under 12s might have had 50, 60 teams, and... You know, we had a, a stadium that had four courts, and, you know, we played as much as we possibly could. I mean, the goal was to make sure we had those courts full with people, and that's how they paid paid their bills. And so it was, um, so I, my job was to implement a basketball development program from, from scratch, basically, from, you know, from the very beginning all the way up. And I'd have to say that, you know, what I really fell back on, and as far as, knowledge of what to teach and stuff really had to do with um, – I had gone to Cascade Sports Camp from about fifth grade all the way through my up, – up through, you know, before I was going to be a senior in high school. Every year, that was a staple of mine. And, you know, coaches like Barry Adams and Glenn Kinney and, you know, just guys that had just – I didn't realize how many fundamental things I had learned just through going to those camps. And, um of course, Dave Shelby was just outstanding in, in fundamentals and stuff, and especially in shooting and just just different, you know, all aspects of the game, understanding the game and, um, you know, little things like how to block out and, you know, all those kind of things. And that's really what I fell back on. And so we started the program there. I mean, there was tremendous talent back then. I mean, just really good athletes. and uh, But they were very, very raw. And, um, when it came to basketball, I mean, it was sometimes it was like, you know, like that recess time, you throw the ball out and you just wonder what the heck's going to happen here, you know? <laughs> but, uh, and their concepts of the game were very limited. So I had an advantage just from my background that, um, I grew up with that I was able to do things that, um, that was second nature to me because I learned from a, you know, very young age and but they were all new to them, so um, you know that's really what that job was about was developing the game of basketball in that one particular suburb of Perth you know Perth is a little over a million people, and so it's not a small town you know i mean it's like you look at the Portland metropolitan area, and that's what you're looking at there and um, each suburb had had a had a basketball program, and that's who we competed with locally there.
1: Okay, cool, do you feel like you're still teaching obviously maybe at the younger levels, but do you feel like when you're coaching and teaching those drills and here in the states and in South Eugene that the kids are maybe just more familiar with it, or you know do you still harp on those same things? do you move on quicker? you know how's that kind of different than when you were developing that program back there?
2: Well, you know, I think that we definitely you know you 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 can move to from one one um set of skills to another quicker here but you still teach the basic fundamental things. You start with, you know, a chest pass or your thumbs in and you rotate your thumbs down, you back spin the ball and you I mean you do that. You know, we still do that every day uh in practice and not just the first week, but we you know, our practices are pretty well scripted out and um you know, it's always, we, we start from the basics every day and we, we do those basics every single day. I don't think that, you know, the game is, the players might have gotten more athletic and everything, but the fundamentals haven't changed. And, you know, I learned that from, from some people that I, I, I was very fortunate. I, I had mentors and people I was able to learn from that had I not gone to Australia, I would have never, ever had those opportunities. And, Oddly enough a lot of those people were Americans. Um Lou Olson came out and did clinics and got to know him real well and Bobby Knight came out and did clinics and you know, you get to know these these people real well. And later on when I was with the the pro team I um through uh Dick Helm, Dick Helm was the assistant coach of Lady Wilkins and Dick taught me so much, um about the game uh, strategically and just, you know, it was just really fun to be a sponge around him. And then he invited me back to travel for a week or so during our off season because we played at that time, we played basketball down there and the opposite season is here and um, because of the season change. And so I always had time off during our off season to come up here and got to travel around to Cavaliers Um a little bit and for about three years and then um with the Hawks when Lenny moved to the Hawks and um and then when Luke got into the NBA uh, Luke made it available for me to spend some time with the Bulls and um what I really got out of that was sitting and talking after practice with Tex Winter and Learning the triple post offense and you know the triangle, I guess, is is more commonly known. But just just meeting those people and just sitting around and talking basketball. I mean, these are people that just love the game and love to talk. And they and they would fill you up with not just X's and O's, but you know, Phil Jackson. Talking with him was all about um, people management and. You know, just dealing with different personalities and, you know, getting a group of people to blend together to, for a common goal, regardless of what else was going on. And I think people recognized what, how good he was at that. I mean, he was a maestro at it. And, um, but it was so fun to, to learn from those kind of mentors and just, you know, I, time I look back at my career, I think I, you know, I'm, 61 this year and so I've been in the game for all my life basically and I wonder where I'd been if I'd just stayed here in, in high school I think I still would have grown and learned and had great high school coaches learn from like I mentioned Barry Adams and those the likes of those and Dave Shelby's and all those coaches in Oregon and and I think Oregon has tremendous coaches I think there's so many people that you can just sit and talk with and and learn from and share ideas and it doesn't always have to be about X's and O's. I mean, it's teaching fundamentals. It's teaching, you know, teen chemistry. It's, it's, um, you know, little things that you just pick up along the way. And, you know, those are things that I just will always be grateful for and just, you know, thank, thank the Lord that I was able to um, be that lucky to be in a position to to learn from those kind of people.
1: Yeah, that's that sounds like an awesome experience. <laughs> awesome experience, coach. Uh can you talk about, you know, you mentioned maybe um some of the things that you learned, but obviously, you know, the professional level, you know, as an assistant coach and you know, getting to be around uh, you know, Luke Longley and uh, Tex Winter what are some of the things that you learned that that you've kind of adapted to the high school game that that you feel like are really important uh, that you kind of emphasize every year
2: well one of the one of the things that um, i I learned the importance of was individual workouts and it's something I got to be honest with you that I've missed the most being a head coach and you know in the high school situation, you don't have near the time. That you do you know in a club situation, when you can bring kids in and bring players in and just just work with them, you know put them through a forty five minute workout and um and learning how to do repetitions that way, and how important that is because you see the results and the the players see the results of how how they improve so much and so quickly, I think you know so much of what we do. Um, And it probably wasn't that way when I played because we didn't play as many games and we didn't have an AU ball and we didn't have, you know, summer programs that were so intense like they are now. And, you know, now we spend so many hours, so many more hours playing the game and not not near as many hours practicing the game. And, you know, I think the individual workouts is one of the biggest things I took away from – and that was – Probably because it was you know a main part of my job, you know I, I as an assistant coach, I broke down film and and helped devise game plans, and you know we but, you know when the the game was on, I would whisper things in the head coach's ear, but it was never you know my job was to to maybe throw out four or five things that you think might be coming up and um or this sub went in, and so you counter and you know so the game becomes much more of a chess match. Even so, you know, in high school, I mean, high school, you're limited with You don't have as much depth or as much talent uh, as you do, say, at that pro level. But, but, you know, a lot of things are the same. If you've done your homework and did some scouting, it's not about just learning their plays. And if they say, one, well, they're going to do this. And if they say, two, they're going to do this. It's more about learning the individual players on each team and their tendencies and what they like to do. And you know, where do they like to get their shots from, and, you know, that kind of stuff, and you can limit those things, or at least detour it, you can, you can, you know, try to keep yourself in a ball game, even if you have less talent sometimes, and those are things that, that I think that was instrumental, when I look back at things, um, I go, well, where did I really pick that up, and it was during my eight years as an assistant coach, I think that I think if a, a person is serious about coaching and they really want to be in it for a long time, you know, being the head coach and, and, um, you know, that's fun and everything. But like Dick, how always stories tell me you got to remember the head coach's chair is, is about three feet higher than the assistant coaches. And, you know, it kind of sticks out there all the time. And so you got a lot of other things on your plate and the assistant coaches have more time and they can work individually with players and they can. They can, you know, do those things to help players get better, and that that part of it I really, really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. How do you guys, obviously, as a as a six A school, you have the the five A six A um, off season model uh, practice model with uh, six hours a week. Um, mm-hmm. You're no longer in the rule of two. So, how have you guys kind of set that up to to maybe help with that skill development to get your kids? uh, ready and, and improve their skills. What does that look like?
2: Well, you know, we don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't, you know, with my job as AD, I don't have that much time. And I'm also very cognizant of kids, how much basketball that they play. And so, you know, we, we break it down. Like really, we only, we only go six hours a week and we, um, break it into half of that is weight training. And, and, um, in the gym, in the weight, in the weight room, and we just count that as some of our hours. And, and then when we're on the court, it's all individual breakdown stuff. You know, and the difference is we're not one on one. It's, you know, we can have more than just two athletes there. So, you know, during that time of the year, we might have six or seven and, um, of the varsity type players. And then, um, we have some of the younger kids that, that join, but they're, your job is really to kind of watch the varsity players and see how it's done. You know, like this is the commitment you're going to have to put in, and this is what you do. But we, we break it down into a lot of fundamental um, – I have to be honest with you, mostly it's all offensive fundamental skills and um, not near as much defensive there other than, you know, just stance and stuff like that. But that's mostly also done from getting stronger and, you know, building your legs up and – getting stronger hips and being able to be in a position to to play defense. So that's kind of done in the weight room and stuff. And our our weight programs are pretty much based around basketball-type workouts, you know, squats and deadlifts, a lot of deadlifts and, you know, some upper body work, but, but a lot of lower body work and, um, you know, building up the, the strengths down there on the bottom. Uh, not to be bulky or anything, but just to be strong and explosive so yeah we just that's the way it kind of works and we'll do that we don't even start when school starts like we don't start with anything until usually the sixth week and um if on a normal school year so we usually it's about the fifth week actually but we start and um you know and it just we gradually build into it we might go four hours for a couple weeks and then we kind of build up to six as the season gets closer and and we don't let any kids join that are doing other sports. You know, that that's a priority for them and, you know, their sport that's in season. And then the other kids join us when their season gets done. And usually that's about time when, you know, practice starts. So the middle of November or so. And then, um, you know, we spend through that week and then that other three days. Um I do a lot of things like we'll practice at 6 in the morning a lot. Uh, one, it alleviates the the backlog in the gyms in the evening, uh, and it also kind of sets a tone mentally, um, being being that you know that toughness of getting up in the morning and discipline, and I can get this done. And kids actually, you know, they kind of groan about it, and then they they get into it and they like it because they they got time after school to go do homework and stuff like that. And, so, you know, that's that's kind of how we do our, our, our whole preseason. This year, obviously, totally different.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, this year is still up in the air, I think, for many of us. Coming up with the best plan we can. Yeah. Um, before we go to a break, Coach, I want to ask you about, you know, you've had the opportunity to, to work with some, some very talented players. You know, you mentioned, you know, Luke Longley, uh, obviously probably the biggest name. That listeners would know, but even at South Eugene, you know, you've had some players that have gone on to play high-level college basketball. Uh, How do you coach those kids differently? You know, the the, the players that you know are gifted and and maybe have bigger or better things they're going on to, uh, you know, how do you approach coaching them differently than than your average or or the rest of your teammates?
2: Well, you know, I don't you know, it's kind of like if you're, when you're teaching and you know, you got a talented, gifted kid, um, you want to make sure, at least I always try to make sure that I'm challenging them, both mentally and physically. And, you know, in pushing them, recognizing their talent, recognizing what they can do, but at the same time, motivating them and challenging them to be better and to not set a goal like, well, I, I'm the best Kid in my neighborhood or my league or whatever it is, putting a lot of belief in them that they can be better than they than even they think they can. I'm a true believer that most high school kids have no real concept of how good they can be. I mean, now and then you're going to run into somebody that does, but most of the time the kids, you know, set pretty low low standards as far as what they want to achieve, and so we. You know, we we sit down and we talk about it mentally and then we talk about the things that, hey, you do this good, but this is a, a, an area that if you could learn to do this really good, boy, you would put a lot more tools in your toolbox and you're going to be even more sought after and more looked at. And you're going to have more options. And, you know, itself, a big thing is is academics. And we, we stress that really Really high, our standards are pretty high that you've got to maintain to stay on the team and and the way I sell it to kids is just say, "Hey, you know you just want to make yourself as sellable as possible. you want to have as many options as you possibly can and you know most of our kids that have gone on since I've been there and played had great college careers were really um they got to the college. Uh, you know, part, partly because of their basketball, but mostly because of their grades, and you know that opened up doors to get them into to big time schools academically. You know, Eli Loniger was a tremendous player that we had, a four year starter, um, probably our best player for four years. I mean, he was just outstanding, tremendous work ethic. The kid was, you know, well over a four point student and. By the time he was a senior, and he was taking college courses. I mean, just highly self-motivated and, you know, knew the importance of academics. He ended up going to Yale and, you know, and graduated from there. And he's, you know, obviously going to do really, really well in life. And, yeah, you know, that's what I talk with our coaching staff all the time. He says, you know, no matter how frustrated we get, no matter what we think of them as basketball players, let's remember that, our real goal is hopefully that they'll all be successful people down the road and that doesn't always mean that you're gonna make a million dollars but it, it does mean you're gonna you're gonna be a really good upstanding citizen, you're gonna understand what teamwork is, you're gonna understand your role within that team and that, that role could change at times and it may not be what you want it to be, but it's important that you play that. And um normally it's it's interesting Normally, at, at our end of season banquets, we always I always talk about every kid as they come up, and I can I don't I don't think there's ever been a year when I haven't had a kid on the team that I couldn't think of one time in the game in the season that they didn't help us win a game, and you know I I think that that's that, that really says what we're what we're talking about you know it's like hey there's there's going to be one time one opportunity and you got to be ready for that one opportunity that you might help this team win a game that we might not have won um if you weren't ready for that time, you know, that, that, that moment in time. So, uh and that's, that, that builds our team chemistry because it puts confidence in everybody else uh in, in each other. You know, they, they believe in it. Like that kid who's, you know, never plays, gets fouled and he's got to make a free throw. And if he does, we win. If he doesn't, we lose. And, you know, and every everybody on the team knows he's he's going to get it done. You know, but the talented kids, you know, they just they want more. I mean, they're they're hungry for it. They want to be challenged, uh, both physically and mentally. And that's what we try to do. We just try to teach them a little bit. I when I was growing up as a coach in Australia, in my years with um, the the pro team, we had a really outstanding point guard. Um, he wasn't the most, he wasn't the best ball handler, but super quick. He, his name was Ricky Grace. He played with Oklahoma on the team that, um, that had almost gone undefeated all year, beat Kansas, I think, two, two times in the, in the year, beat him in the, in the tournament and then lost to him in the NC2A championship game to Danny Manning. But he played with Mookie Blaylock and the Grants and Horace Grant and you know, Stacy King and so he was he was interesting 'cause I was young as a coach and here's this guy with all his talent. And I gotta be honest, with you, I was really intimidated by him. You know, we started doing individuals and and he made it good for me. He goes he goes, Davey said I I wanna get better and I know you put a lot of time in watching and studying and I want you to Spend time with me on video, and I want you to break my game down and be honest with me. And, and so, our our individual workouts were really, really as um, educational and good for me. I, he made me a much better coach, by the way, his attitude was and how he how he wanted and, and trusted and believed in what I was doing. So, you know, I think that's that's such a key. I mean, you you just got to build a trust level with your players, and you got to get them to to not think, you know, coaches sometimes you see the mistake that they know everything, they script every play, they they want it to be perfect and, you know, basketball's not always perfect. You know, it's, it's sometimes you go like, holy cow, how'd that ever happen? You know, yeah. It comes <laughs> together and but it came together, I think, a lot of times with the trust you build up with, with kids and and, um, and I say kids and stuff, but I think it's the same with, with men. You know, it's about you know, building that trust and, and, um, you know, knowing that as the say, you know, you got my back, mate. And, um, <laughs> and that's, that's the truth. You know, you just, you got each other's back all the time. Yeah. Good stuff, coach.
1: All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll return with more from coach Hancock right after this on the Oregon basketball coaches podcast.
0: The start of school means it's time to sign up or renew your Oregon Basketball Coaches Association membership. OBCA membership includes access to exclusive resources that help personalize instruction, understand players mindsets, and maximize the impact of your practices. Members also receive access to the OBCA mentoring program and have a voice in improving the game at the state level. Membership starts at just $15 a year. Register online today at or.nhsbca.org.
1: Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Dooman here, speaking with Coach Dave Hancock. Uh, Coach, you talked a little bit about you know success within your program and building great young men that, that go on to do great things, and I think that's awesome. Can you talk about some of maybe the standards? that you have set within your program uh, and how you work to help kids live up and meet those, live up to and meet those standards?
2: Well, I think it starts by um, that, and this is what I learned all the time when I was a player and my coaches, I was fortunate to have just outstanding coaches in all the sports that I played. And, you know, the one thing that resonated all the time, and it came also from my father who, um, you know, he wasn't a coach or anything, but, you know, just his work ethic was enormous. And it just, it was always by example. It was never telling me you got to do this or do that. It was just, it was kind of like subconsciously watch me and I'll show you how to get this done. And so, you know, I never asked my kids ever to do anything that I, that I don't, that I wouldn't do myself. You know, it goes to the old thing, like you're the first at, at practice before any kid shows up and you're the last one to leave and you know and if something has to be done like the the shirts have got to be put in a basket and brought to the laundry well you do that and you know and then the next thing you know you you get a kid saying hey coach I'll I'll, I'll put them in the laundry tonight you know you you take off you know that kind of stuff and you know that's where it builds I think it builds from from watching and from being around an environment that is positive, you know, we don't, we don't swear. Um, and I, I can't say that I've never swore as a coach, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's something that, um, you know, you, if you use that card once, you better be very careful because once you use that card up, it's, it loses its impact and you know, you learn to use use that type of stuff um, when you need it and and when you want to draw out the best and, you know, and people really get their attention and stuff. And so, you know, just by example, I think a lot of it has to do with that. You know, they the kids know um, what coach is like. The kids know the coach can get fired up. The kids know that um, that, you know, he's not going to settle for second best. And if you get beat, it's not the end of the world. But we're going to go back to work, and we're going to, we're going to get better. Um, I think that um, in high school, at least, uh, I tell our staff this all the time. I said, "Look, you know, I have days when I'm down, or not, not necessarily down, but tired." And and um, and I said, "You just can't. You got to put that away. I mean, like you got two hours here. You got to show them what we preach. That you get to come to practice. That you." can forget about everything else and just enjoy it and let it go and just have fun. And I, I tell our coaches, you know, you've got to be more motivated than the kids every day. You've got to be into every drill. You've got to raise your, you know, show the kids through your voice and through your tone that, that man, you're, there's no place in the world you'd rather be except for right here. And that'll rub off that onto them that, that, hey, you know, coaches, I'm fired up, you know, I, well, he gets me fired up. I want to be there too. And, and uh, and I think also it needs to be done honestly, you know, not not something that they can see as fake. And like, well, a coach sounds like he wants to do it, but you can tell by his tone he's, he'd rather be somewhere else. And, you know, so I think that that's, that's key. But, again, it kind of all comes through modeling, I, I believe. You know, you, you model yourself, you conduct yourself off the court in the community, um, and you do the right things you know you you don't get a dewey you don't <laughs> you know you just you don't do you know you you're kind of on display all the time when you're a high school coach and especially in your community, especially in smaller towns and um you know you can go here even in Eugene, you know I can be over at the at the Lane forest products and getting getting you know, a load of bark, and mulch is spread around my house, and, you know, the the guys there, they know me. They know who they are. Hey, what's your team's going to be like this year? Are you going to have a good team? And it's like, sometimes I walk away, and I'm just astounded. You know, my wife will go out to dinner, and someone will say, start talking to me, and my wife will say, do you know who that was? And i say, you know, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that they know who South Eugene Boys Basketball is, and and I, I represent that. And so, I think those are things that you just grow into and, um, you know, you, you realize that you have a responsibility and that your responsibility ends when you quit coaching. And as far as, you know, that role all the time doesn't mean you go off the table and do something, but when you're a coach, you're a coach 24 seven, 365. And, you know, that's, that's who you are. And then I think once you build that, then kids, you know, even if they have a difference of opinion, they respect that. And it comes back down to that, you know. And, and the other thing I always tell kids I said, look, you know, I, we tell them at the start of the year, every year, I said, look, you know, as coaches, we're going to make mistakes. You know, there's going to be games when I call the wrong set. I'm going to be in the wrong defense too long. I'm going to maybe sub the wrong person. Doesn't mean I don't have confidence in you, but it means that uh, I didn't make the right call. And I said, there's times out there when you're going to throw the ball away. And I said, I know you don't mean to. Uh, it's not something you plan to do, but it happens. And, you know, I think that when we're all in this together, all of a sudden it becomes we instead of, you know, me. And, um, you know, the the kids gel from that, you know, and, and pros do too. I mean, they. Are, I learned a lot from a guy named Murray Arnold. I coached with him for three years. Murray... Um, had grew up on the East Coast of the U.S. Um, he was much older than me, but uh, just so much wiser and had so much knowledge. And he was a guy that kind of taught me some things about basketball that I, you know, as a coach that I didn't want to become because he was like obsessed. I mean, I mean, his everything. I mean, he couldn't string a sentence together without throwing some basketball analogy into an older <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, you know, I love the game. I just don't want it to, own me, I, you know, I, I want to enjoy it. And, uh, but he taught me some things. I can, I'll never forget this. We were, he, he had stepped in in a very, con- very controversial situation, um, with our pro team down there. The year before we had won the national championship, it was my second year and things, there was a, you know, a management decision to remove the, the, the interim coach and bringing this guy. Well, the players weren't real happy, and we went through preseason, and they weren't really gelling and stuff, and we were playing in Brisbane, and there was, um, packed house, and it was just happened to be the team that we had played for the national championship the year before, and they were just giving us a lickin'. I mean, it was the end of the first quarter, and we were down 22-4, to 4, and, um, The place was going crazy. You couldn't hear anybody talk and our players were griping and moaning and barking at each other. And, and, uh, Murray gets them all on the bench and and he starts talking just really quietly, you know, and I'm like, coach, you got to speak up. They can't hear you. And he kept talking. And then I, it was funny. I was standing behind the the huddle and and then I'd seen the, the players were sitting on the bench and the players had gradually started to, um, put their heads down so they could hear. They kept listening and they listening, And he just, what he did more than anything that I learned in that situation, he took all of the anxiety out of those guys. And, and these are men. I mean, you know, you, you would think like, and uh, he just, he diffused, he read what, not about what X's and O's and the score or anything else. He just read the state of mind that our players were in. And he diffused that, and we had, we had turned that game around. We won by 18 points. It was just the most amazing thing. It was a 36 point turnaround in three quarters and it was just on hostile grounds. And I'm just like, boy, I will never ever forget the power of tone and when to use a loud tone and when to use a soft tone and and you know I mean, I told myself I gotta keep learning how to do this. And I don't know if I've ever mastered it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we yeah. definitely had our drubbings at <laughs> thousand times. <too>. <laughs> <laughs> you know how that goes.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Nobody who's ever coached knows how that goes.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but like you said, I think you know, figuring out when to when to change those tones and when your team needs it is is one of the most powerful things you can do as a coach. I mean, it just makes a world of difference for your kids. It was
2: remarkable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very
1: cool. Coach, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, you brought up, you know, got to work with Tex Winter and learned a little bit about the triangle offense. Um, And I know that you were running it maybe not that long ago and maybe still are now. uh, You know, you don't need to, Tell
2: everybody you're well, playing on
1: this podcast. I mean, but, yeah. Can you that basically, about, I mean, we do. Yeah. How have you kind of adapted that uh, from maybe what it was to maybe fitting more of today's style of, of game?
2: Well, um, you know, there's just different aspects of it. I mean, the, the whole concept, I, I fell in love with it. I just thought, that hey, you know, this is the way the game should be played. And, you know, we all, as coaches, we all find our niche of what we really like. And up until then, I had seen mostly set structures, and that's what I grew up with, Um, or maybe something semi-motion like flex or something that, you know, but still had a continuity type uh, offense to it. And um, and so I just really loved it. And so I was really just nothing but triangle for most of the years, the first few years at South over and over and over. And... As the years have gone by, you know, we looked at a lot of stuff and, you know, we said like, you know, we've got this person in a, in say a guard, a good penetrating guard. And I go, you know, I don't know, they're not gaining. They don't understand that even in the triangle, you can penetrate, but at the same time. So they were always like doing entry passes and, you know, never getting the ball back. And so we, we kind of morphed a little bit into Villanova stuff. And, um, but we kept a lot of the same concepts, you know, we kept the blind pig action, we kept the, you know, the post cutting rules, we kept um, a lot of stuff. And so we kind of melded everything together. So it's a combination of, you know, the true total flex offense with, you know, some spread that still isn't just like, You know, put, you know, pass and put your hand up and go, go away and screen for somebody. It's everything is, you know, we either have speed cuts or we have screen cuts or we, you know, we, we still keep all the same terminology of the triangle. We still, like I said, keep a lot of the basic things and then we, they know them well enough to where we can go to them when a, a team starts to, you know, take something away. Um, you know, some days we do it really well and we really hurt teams, and some days, you know, we're so frustrated that we can't, you know, get into anything, and it doesn't really matter, you know, it, it's survival time out there, but, um, but that's how we kind of blended the two together. I I, I mean, I, I'll always use, you know, triangle concepts, and, you know, uh, like I said, with the post-cutting rules, I'll always keep those, and whether we do it, we don't really call them screens. We call them squeezes. Like, you know, if we basket cut or we squeeze, if we squeeze it means we're screening for somebody. And if we basket cut, you know, it's a speed cut and you go as fast as you can and you get to the rim and balance the court, and the whole concept of 15 to 18 feet apart uh, and use the entire court um, or the half court, you know, to to run your offense. And, you know, and I'm like any other coach, you know, I steal little things that I really like from other teams offenses and I may not run all their total offense, but we like little set stuff out of it. We, we run a lot of set stuff and you know, our basic, you know, the offense or, or triangle is a combination of both those. And that's kind of what we start with. But you know, we have sets where we get bogged down and the thing we loved, I loved in high school about the triangle so much is you could put anybody in all five positions. So you don't have to have, um, you know, set plays, set players. And we had 2010, we had a really tough guard. He was probably about six feet tall, left hander, but phenomenal free throw shooter, just phenomenal. And he was really good on the post and you know, he could up and under you. He would. He had a little fadeaway J on I mean, you. He was just really tough, and so we would we would run the triangle with him as our post guy, um and then run our cuts off of him. Let him go to work just to get fouled, especially when we couldn't score. Like we'd go through
1: mm.
2: three or four minutes and not be able to put the ball in the basket. And it's something I learned: like if you can get to the foul line, you can still score. Even though you can't throw the ball in the ocean, you know. So, mm-hmm. um especially when you got a great free throw shooter like that, and you can ice him down on the post, it's kind of hard for their officials not to call stuff down there. So, yeah, yeah, you're right in front of the guy, and if you got a guy that's got some post moves, and that's why, like when we do individuals, individual stuff, we our guards do all the post work, and our post guys. If we do, you know, we've had kind of been blessed with a. True post guy in the last four years and in Clark and, um, but he does, you know, maybe he didn't really develop totally as a, uh, as a post player, but he had good skills that he could still pivot on the perimeter and handle the ball and, and, and he understood the concept of, you know, being in any position on the floor rather than just one position. So I think it's really good for high school. I think you know, most of us don't have. You know, we don't go out and recruit a, a power forward, and a small forward, and an off guard, and a shooting guard, and a post player. We don't do that, and we yeah. we can't do that. And um, so, you take what you got, and and then you can move your pieces around to where you can get the best out of everybody, and the team gets the best out of each other.
1: Yeah. One of the things, you know, about offenses like the triangle, and, and there's other ones out there, is kind of that decision-making aspect that sometimes, as you probably are aware, high school students struggle with. Um, yeah. is, is there anything that you do to kind of help them with that decision-making uh, so that it becomes second nature? Is there a way that you approach that that you have found that has made made that teaching a little more successful?
2: Well, in the triangle, um, it's, the triangle is keyed off on, on where the ball is passed and that you should always – every player always has at least four options to pass the ball, and there are, those four options should always be within 15 feet of where the ball is. And so wherever the ball goes, that triggers the next cut. So, you know, we break it apart. We break all the little options apart, and then we get the timing down by – a lot of two-on-two, three-on-three mostly stuff in practice where, you know, the cutter learns how to cut on the pass rather than once the ball has been received, you know, wherever it goes. And it takes a lot of the guesswork out. So when they read, they can just say, hey, you know, post-guy's covered. I can throw a top pass. I can throw a pig pass. I can throw a corner pass you know, and then I know where I got to go immediately once I do that, and it's real easy to correct, and um, and um the flow then, and the court balance stays solid, and they can just, you know, they, they're they not restricted to one option. Like, we don't have to have a wing entry every time. We can have a post entry. We can have a pig entry. We can have a guard-to-guard guard pass, and, and everything just signals what all the other four players are going to be doing all the time, and when it's run right, you usually have a pass and four people are in motion. And, you know, not just the one cutter, but the other four guys, you know, the other three guys. So you have one guy who might be basket cutting, but you have three other guys doing something. You might have two guys running a squeeze. You might have another guy, you know, moving to the basket on the backside for a rebound or anticipated of a shot. You have a basket cutter. You know, all of a sudden, you have four guys that have four different jobs, and which also is important. They all learn all positions because they could be in any one of those positions, but the movements and the cuts are always going to be the same. And it, it just, and then it just becomes repetition, you know, like you just do it over and over and over and over until it becomes they don't think and. What we try to do is get the thought process out of when they're playing and, you know, let them play. Basketball is a reaction game. You know, baseball, we could sit there and have time to go through every option before every pitch, and you kind of knew what happened, what you're going to do if the ball to your left or your right or wherever. In basketball, you are got to react. And, you know, so what we try to teach is just reactions. You know, the ball goes here, I'm here, I do this, I do that and uh they they're not trying to read how their defender's playing them. they're not trying to read you know is there an opening here um and we just tell them like if you're cut, you're defended, just keep cutting. I mean what you're doing is pulling somebody out, and you gotta rely on have confidence in your teammate that the rest of the the other three guys that are moving are one of those guys gonna be open and so you know it just that's how we go about it and like I said, sometimes it's worked real well. Sometimes it hasn't. Just like any offense, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it does usually keep us the court balanced,
1: which is sometimes half the battle. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, they honest. out of each other's way.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going
1: to take another break. Uh, when we return, Coach Hancock will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast.
0: Want more from the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast? You can listen to all our episodes at our website, anchor.fm slash OBCA, or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association on social media at facebook.com slash OregonBCA, or on Twitter at OR Hoop Coaches.
1: Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches podcast. We're talking with Coach Dave Hancock. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to put 35 seconds on the clock, uh, and I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions that should only uh, have one- to two-word answers. And we're gonna see how quickly or I should say how many questions we're gonna get through in thirty five seconds. sound good, yeah righty see how it works uh starting now, do you think Oregon high School basketball should have a track clock?
2: absolutely, absolutely Shoot. the game uh, we're way behind everywhere else in the world and and um You know, it it speeds the game up. It it makes the players much better. they got to read situations quicker. I mean, I'm a big proponent for a shot clock.
1: If you're up three points with less than 10 seconds, do you foul?
2: Um, I don't play that game. I I defend a three, but I never send them to the free throw line. Too many things can happen after a missed free throw. So um, we play it out and um, try to defend a three.
1: What's your favorite way to guard on ball screens?
2: Oh, we vary it up. We don't just always do one way. Sometimes we hedge. Just depends on the scatter report and what we feel we can do. Sometimes we feel we can't. If we feel we can't handle a guard uh, that's coming off that screen, um, we don't. You know, we we might play it differently than somebody. I think we can trap. So you know, sometimes it's under. Sometimes it's switch. Sometimes it's um, you know hedge and and recover, and sometimes it's trap.
1: How big of a lead do you need before you pull off a press?
2: Well, really, it kind of depends on on um, um, you know, are they beating it easily? Or are they beating? Or are they having trouble with it? And, and um, a lot of times, if they if they beat it easily, we'll go away from it, maybe come back to it. A little bit later or a different time in the game, a lot of times presses work the best that if they're put on at the right time, unless you 're just physically better than everybody else i mean then then matter what you do then you're gonna you're gonna win um, but uh, you know we haven't had a lot of teams like that, so you know, we have to strategically <laughs> use it and try to get them when they 're maybe not thinking about it and um you know put it on for two or three plays and try to get it. Six quick points, and then uh, you know, take it back off, and try to keep them guessing, like you know, so they're not in the rhythm out there of what they're looking at.
1: What's your favorite pregame meal?
2: <laughs> usually, it, it consists of a hot dog from the concession stands. Uh, if they have a good night, you know, I might get the um, teriyaki chicken, uh, but no. that's usually what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what's uh what's one word officials would use to describe you
2: oh it kind of depends on the official <laughs> <laughs> you know I hope that they uh uh you know I don't get a lot of teas I think I've had one tea in twenty years, and um mm-hmm. and normally we get a relationship to where they go, you know hey uh right I've had enough, and then i I know that I need to back off you know I hope that they you know, the comment is that, you know, he's fun to work with, um, his kids will be well-coached, uh, they will act like sportsmen out there, and they're not going to be a bunch of jerks.
1: Yeah, I guess that's uh, all of our goals, but sometimes we don't achieve those, I think, sometimes. <laughs> that's good, that's good stuff. Um, Coach, I'm sure you're aware, you know, shot clocks kind of a hot topic issue, high school basketball in Oregon and across the country. And, uh, you know, you mentioned you were in favor of it. And, and I believe in Australia they, they implemented it even at the youth levels. Correct me if I'm wrong. But can you kind of a, elaborate on your shot clock answer and why you think it would be good for the game?
2: Well, you know, one of the things when I started coaching down there, I mean, there was a couple of things. The trapezoid key was something I learned to, to utilize, uh, which I was never used to. Um, shot clocks was another one. I mean, from under 18s all the way under 16s, actually down there they had shot clocks, and it, at all levels in the in the clubs, um, state competitions, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I just felt that. Um, and if I remember correctly, it was 30 seconds and the FIBA rules down there at that mm-hmm. time. I'm not sure, but you know, um, I just thought that it made the game flow. So much better, and I thought, from a player point of view, you know we don't we don't have a lot of time to spend on like end of quarter shots, and you know when you break your practices down or you know plays, and you know how do what do you go do when that clock's going down, and how do you create a shot and and with a shot clock, you know, that becomes something that we would do daily in all of our sets and, and everything we would do. Like, okay, we got 10 on the clock. What do we go to, you know? And so everybody knew what was going on, and everybody became much more aware of the game. I just thought they understood the game. It helped them understand the game better. I, I really just – I'm a big proponent of it. I just think that – um we should definitely have it in in our game. I know some states, I think there's 13 states in the US that have a shot clock and and I just think it makes it makes for better development of players. I really do. I just think from the mental aspect and and um you know, even skill work as far as this is how I got to create a shot. I think one of the biggest things we try to teach an individual is how to create a shot and you know, a lot of kids are real good catch and, shoot and a lot of kids can go make a layup and few kids can create a shot in between there and, you know, be able to pull up and, and do a step back and create space and, and do those things. And I think when you got a shot clock in there, every player has got to develop those skills better. They, they just, they have to, um, because you never know if the ball is going to be in your hands when the clock's going down. So, you know, I, I just I just think it's something that we should really you know go to. I know there's a lot of an, anxiety against it. You know, you got to get ads feel like you know now I got to get another official on the bench and they got to teach them how to run a shot clock. And you know, really it's it, it's not that hard. And once it gets going, it's easy. And the cost of putting in shot clocks and stuff, it's it's not every year you got to put a shot clock in. So. You know, initially there was going to be some expense, but I just think, like, you know, we moved to three officials rather than two. I think that was a tremendous asset to the game. And um I think that the game needs to keep progressing, and you know, Shaq Clark is part of it.
1: Absolutely. How do you select team captains? What's that process look like?
2: Well, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of our team captains select themselves, and, um, you know we look for leaders uh we look for people who um the teammates have trust in um uh, we don't do a vote we don't do a selection we it's named by the coaching staff and uh and I don't put so much emphasis on it that that um you know boy this is special you're captain i mean you know um Basically, you're going to go out and represent us in the way that we feel that our team should be represented. You're going to be the person that um, is going to be able to have the trust of everybody on the team. Uh, you're either going to be the person that's going to be uh, like a coach, first one there, last one to leave. And you're going to be the kind of guy that's going to be able to to communicate with all of our Everybody, whether it's a freshman in the program, or whether it's a senior, and you're a senior, and you know, I mean, it's it's got to it's got to be someone that, that that wants that responsibility to take it on as as being a leader, and not just um, say, well, I got a C on my letterman jacket, you know, and um, you know, and we've had some outstanding, you know, players that have been our captains and been our leaders, but. We ask all of our players you know to be captains, basically, you know I mean it, it, he he might go out there to start the game and talk with the officials and all that and I said if I usually use the line I said, if you really want to be one, just think about how many shots he doesn't get in warm ups that you do, and got <laughs> kind of to treat it that way a little bit, you know I mean it's important, and we you know I rely a lot on them to communicate to the team like if a practice is. Canceled or got moved or we got bumped or we, I want you there 15 minutes early. I go through my captains and, you know, and, and they relay it to the team. And, and that's the way we work it that way all the time. So that they've got ongoing jobs all the time and not just, you know, I just want the boys. I show up late. I mean, our captain would never show up late and they will always be there on time. And, you know, that's the other kids see that and they go, well, that's, that's why they're captains. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it's a job I've earned. It's not like something was given to you. So, yeah. But after watching yeah. for four years, you can kind of pick out some kids that you know are going to be good right. leaders.
1: Yeah, and I do think in, in most scenarios, like you're talking about, you know, the the kids know who the leaders are, right? I mean, they kind of they do. rises to the top a little bit.
2: And Absolutely, the they do.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, do you you that's have the way any, we uh, talk to them.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite team building activity that you do?
2: You know, um, we did some really, really cool stuff down in Australia in the pro team Um, that was really, like, life bonding stuff, you know. (laughs) But that was with the pro team, we had some really good resources, you know. We did some um, repelling. Um, We did some um, survival things out in the... In the outback, it, were, it was really kind of fun. Um, we, one of the funnest things we did was um, that I've kind of replicated a couple times. Like, we'd have certain like um, challenges that they they go through this course, and it's better when you're outside and you're kind of in the forest or something. And and they got to find clues and get to the next challenge, and they got to master that challenge and figure out as a team. One of the ones that was really kind of cool, we had a big circle, and there was a coffee can in the middle of the circle that had water in it. And uh, there were some ropes and stuff, just straight ropes. I mean, there was, you know, and they, the team, the group that was together, had to figure out how to get that can of water out of that circle together. Uh, And the one that had the most water in it at the end was the winner of that challenge and so you know the first process it was really fun because as a coach I was kind of just monitoring it and stuff and it was just it was really cool to see leaders step up and then someone you know maybe wouldn't be a leader was afraid to say anything and and then if they if the challenge went wrong they would go like I told you not to do that I knew that wouldn't work (laughs) but that person never spoke up beforehand and it never did voice their opinion and so I mean those kind of things I think are just really, really fun. And it just um it brings out so much in the individuals of things they didn't even know about themselves. And when we're all done, we come back together, it really made our team better. You know, because we could go back and say, Hey, remember the can. We gotta get this done. This doesn't look like we can get this done in any way possible, but there's a way, so let's let's get our heads together and let's figure this thing out and we can do you know it's kind of like going against Jesuit a lot you know it's, it's, <laughs> especially uh, at Jesuit yeah yeah. and Gene, Gene knows what I'm talking about
1: because <laughs> <laughs> that's relatable for many coaches
2: <laughs> well unfortunately I just don't know how, to figure, how it works but it just seemed like every time we'd have a chance we'd always have to go to Jesuit to get to the final eight and it was kind of like oh my gosh you think we get better at, at getting the mental preparation for that, but then we walk into that dad gum gym and it, it, all your mental per- preparation goes out the door.
1: <laughs> uh, that's
2: funny. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have funny. Do you have a favorite drill?
2: Oh, you know, a lot of our stuff that we do, we try to make it as game like as possible and, and as competitive as possible. I believe that young kids, I mean, even pros, they love to compete and they don't like to, you know, the fundamental stuff, the routine, repetition stuff is done for warm-ups, and we do that. But once we get into it, you know, we do a lot of different stuff that's, um, you know, we do a four-on-four-on-four drill, full court, um, you know, where you've got to, you know, really teach, your know, defensive transition, like you score, immediately press, that kind of stuff. And and then, um we like those shell drill is always good. I think you can manipulate a shell drill to, you know, you can lift the intensity of your practice by. um There's nothing I learned from Coach Arnold really well is if, if we were having a real mediocre practice, we'd go into shell and and coaches call fouls and he would say, okay, today you don't call any fouls and uh, let them play because we're not very we're not really intense and. And I was thinking like, Well, I'll call fouls, you know, and anyway I find out how the intensity level rose immediately when suddenly, you know, the competition was just allowed to be competitive and there was no fouls called. It was amazing. <laughs> you, know? Mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we do things with no out of bounds and things like that where they gotta keep playing and, and not play the lines and that kind of stuff and so, you know, I mean I I don't know if I have a favorite one but I Whatever we do, we try to make it competitive. And a lot of times I believe kids need to get up and down the floor. So we scrimmage a lot. And it's a lot of stop, start stuff like freeze, stay where you're at, where are we at. Okay, now let's go again and, uh, you know, and play. So, you know, I, I want them to be intense. I, you know, it doesn't have to be pretty and doesn't have to be perfect. I just want them to be intense and really get after it and, you know, play with some abandoned out there and, not be thinking even in practice, like, you know, we'll, we'll break that part down tomorrow. We'll emphasize that, but boy, let's get after this thing and get it, you know, play hard.
1: Right. Well, coach, that's all I got for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, thanks for for asking me. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I just, the one thing I say to anybody that's young and, and um, getting into coaching, you know, it's, Basketball's a tremendous game. You never know where it can take you, and you just meet so many neat people and um, lifetime friends. You know, I've been very blessed in my career, and and just really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it's been fun. It's the one thing. I, I'm probably ready to quit being an AD, but I I'd still love to coach for a few more years. So you know, I'm just anxious for this year to hopefully get going, that we can play and. I don't care if it's 14 games or 10 games or or whatever. I'm looking forward to get back on the court for practices and, and, um, you know, get out there and, and, um, have some fun with the young guys because it's, they're missing out on something that, uh, they'll never ever get back. And that, that's what kind of, that's the hardest thing to take.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Hancock, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach up.
0: Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website, or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail dot com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.